0: This is Heather Levitis, Duke Plastic Surgery resident on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery lecture series. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in the respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. We're here today with Dr. Howard Levinson, Associate Professor of Plastic Surgery in the Division of Plastic and Re- Reconstructive Surgery here at Duke. Dr. Levinson has been here for over 10 years, did his training here, um, is a very busy reconstructive uh, surgeon, has many, many interests, including um, abdominal wall and wound healing, and among hand and many other things. He's also um, has his own lab, is former chair of the Plastic Surgery Research Council, and um, is an excellent person to be here with us today to discuss local flaps. So we're going to start with anatomy. Um, Just some basic skin anatomy. The skin is composed of four basic layers, the epidermis, the papillary dermis, the reticular dermis, and subcutaneous tissue underneath the skin. The primary blood supply to the skin is the deep vascular plexus, which is subdermal. It's located between the reticular dermis and the subcutaneous fat. The superficial vascular plexus uh, runs through the superficial dermal papilla of the papillary dermis. Um, the epidermis is somewhat supplied by superficial by the superficial plexus via uh, diffusion. Vessels of the dermal and subdermal plexus travel parallel to the skin and are supplied by collaterals and subcutaneous perforators, which septocutaneous perforators, which travel between muscles within fascial septae, and are most abundant among the long and thin muscles of the extremities. There's also musculocutaneous perforators, which pass perpendicularly through muscles and are most common within the broad and flat muscles of the torso. Uh, Next, we'll talk about the concept of angiosomes, which are a three-dimensional composite of skin, soft tissue, and bone, and are supplied by a single source artery. Uh, Reduced caliber choke vessels provide communication and modify blood flow between neighboring angiosomes and a single source vessel may supply multiple angiosomes. Knowledge of source vessel location and angiosome boundaries may help increase flap viability by designing within known angiosomes um, the boundaries of the flap. As far as vascular classifications of local flaps, uh, the first classification is a random pattern flap which has no single dominant vessel. It's primarily supplied by the dermal and subdermal vascular plexuses. Axial pattern flaps are supplied by a named artery and vein and allow for a longer flap design within a narrow pedicle. There's also reverse flow random pattern flaps which are more an axial flap design and the source vessel is divided proximally and the blood supply is dependent on retrograde, retrograde flow through the distal artery. As far as tissue classification for uh, flaps, we have cutaneous, flaps which possess all the layers of the epidermis and dermis as well as the superficial fascia. And then there's fasciocutaneous uh, flaps which contain all layers of the epidermis, dermis, subcutaneous tissue, and deep fascia. These generally have a more robust vascular supply and are utilized in larger defects requiring an intermediate level of bulk. They can be designed as local, regional, or free flaps and can sometimes also be sensate depending on how they're designed. Next uh, classification for flaps is a musculocutaneous, or um, in some cases, just muscle flaps. Musculocutaneous flaps possess all the same layers as fasciocutaneous flaps, but also include muscle. Generally speaking, they have a greater arc of rotation, increased bulk, uh, bulk, and are classically thought to have improved function and more resistance to infection, although recent publications have shown that that's not necessarily true. They're commonly used for reconstruction of breasts, irradiated wounds, and in pressure sores. Musculocutaneous flaps are usually favored over muscle flaps because inclusion of a skin paddle allows for uh, improved flap monitoring, and we see this here at Duke clinically.
1: Heather, I think you missed a lot. Um, I think you missed the concept of bone. And so how does bone play into tissue? It's really not tissue classification. It's flap classification. Right. And so how would you incorporate bone?
0: So, you could incorporate bone on its own, um, just as a bone flap. What's or an example of that? Like a free fibula flap.
1: There are other ones as well?
0: Yep, iliac crest.
1: Iliac crest. Scapula. Good. Scapula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. So, you can have vascular supply to the blood al- to the bone alone. Mm-hmm. What else?
0: Um, you can include muscle with your bone. Correct. So, like, you can include flexor hallucis longus muscle with your fibula. Correct. If needed. Let's see. You can include... Uh, Muscle with your scapular flaps, like latissimus if you needed, off the subscapular system.
1: Correct. Same with actually probably any of the bone flaps. Right. Because what you do is if you trace the proximal artery far enough proximally, Mm -hmm. you could end up at the aorta. But (laughs) the point being is that if you chase it far enough proximally, you can find branches to muscles. Right. Right. And so you could have a... Osteo muscle flap mm-hmm. you could have an osteomusculocutaneous flap mm-hmm. right like a free fibula can be that way so i think the take home here is starting from looking at the different tissue from skin alone to fascia to muscle to bone they can be u- used independently or, or in a lot of different combinations this is good background to understand things but this is not really uh in service question in-service questions you get much more specific to specific flaps and pros and cons, and those flaps continue to evolve and grow as people have different interests in developing new flaps and using them and testing them. And so, the f- flaps de jour of the of the day will change over the years. They right. have. There are a few that are tried and true um, that have withstood the agents of change, and there are you know other ones that have gone out of favor. Right. Um, so that will continue to probably happen for quite a long period of time. Yeah. Um, with them, but understand the basic principles behind them. And, 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 and then you can decide they're basically tools to solve problems. And then the issue becomes, how do you use the tool? Which tool do you want to use? And what are the techniques to use that tool?
0: Right. And that's an excellent segue into the next uh, couple uh, topics we're going to talk about. Um, have to mention the math is in a high classification for muscular cutaneous flaps. Um, this is a commonly tested concept on the in-service for us. Um, type 1 has one vascular pedicle, and examples of this type are gastrocnemius flaps um, and tensor lata Those are type 1. Type 2 has one dominant pedicle plus one minor pedicle, which the flap cannot survive on alone. This would be an uh, examples of this would be soleus, gracilis, and biceps and rectus femoris. Type 3 have two dominant pedicles. Um, Examples of this kind of flap are gluteus, rectus abdominis, and serratus anterior. Type 4 is segmental uh, pedicles, um, so it can survive off of a segmental blood supply. Examples of this are tibialis anterior and sartorius. And type 5, finally, has one dominant pedicle plus numerous segmental smaller pedicles. And examples of this that were commonly tested on are latissimus dorsi, pectoralis major, and internal oblique. So those are ones that unfortunately probably just need to be memorized.
1: Yeah, so there's memorization and then there's practical use, and they're definitely different (laughs) here. So it's good to memorize these. It it turns out that the class 5 of the dominant and more segmental, smaller pedicles, What's really important about this is that the latissimus dorsi can survive off the segmentals, even if you were to uh, uh, um, cut through the dominant pedicle, whereas a um, soleus muscle or or rectus femoris may die if you cut its dominant pedicle, which these are the type 2 flaps. Interestingly, gracilis can survive without its dominant pedicle. Wow, okay. Um, And so actually can rectus abdominis, which is you know, you can actually lose both its dominant pedicles and survive. Um, And and so these are things that will be a little bit practically they're important, but for tests, they're confusing. So I would stick with for the test purposes of memorizing what it is here, but don't confuse this old nomenclature with practical realities of today. So for example, I've done uh, gracilis flaps that are based on the bone alone. You can actually clamp the pedicles because we needed to reach up into the pelvis with it and and just left it on the bone and it survived. And um, it's been, you know, published and we've actually done this where you've taken a uh, abdominal rectus flap after a lemma. So you did the left internal mammary artery to the heart cardiac surgery. And then we cut the um, uh, deep inferior epigastrics mm-hmm. and superficial inferior epigastrics to turn the rectus muscle up to cover the sternum because we really didn't have many other options. Mm-hmm. And that was then based on the blood supply to the rib cage to the rectus um, flaps. So sometimes you will get other blood supply. And those are practical um, scenarios and difficult situations. But for the purpose of the test, I would do exactly as you're saying.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Um, so moving on to a practice question. A 55-year-old man has complete excision of squamous cell carcinoma of the scalp, resulting in a 6 by 8 centimeter occipital defect with exposed calvaria. Reconstruction with a lower third trapezius island flap is performed. Which of the following arteries is the major blood supply for the flap? So the point of this question is that the trapezius muscle has multiple blood supplies that it can be based on. And the answer to this question is dorsal scapular, um, which is the dominant blood supply that's relevant um, in this question for an occipital defect.
1: When you do flap reconstruction, one way to think about it or the way I approach it is I think about um, the flaps in the region Mm -hmm. that could be used. And then I usually, for each flap, you literally start to know the really the blood vessel. You don't really know the nerve and some of this other detail. Most of it's just the blood vessel and its blood supply. And so I may think back a scalp, and I think, oh, well, there are the free flaps in which anyone can do it. Um, there's the local scalp tissue that you can do adjacent tissue transfers with, and there's a few options on, on how you do that. And then there's basically back flaps, which is really not so much latissimus, although it can reach low down, it's mostly going to be the um, uh, trapezius. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have a tendency when you get into practice, and I've been doing this for a while, to think about more of the regional flaps within the area that can be pedicled. Um, the people who do the microsurgery, you know, training, the additional training, they just want to free flap everything. <laughs> and, and so they make things complicated by adding in all these free flaps for things. But, but practically speaking, you look at the local options first that work well to solve the problem, and then if you can't use them, then you move to the free flap. Right. So
0: So the point of this question was just to emphasize that the inferior portion of the trapezius muscle is supplied by the dorsal scapular artery. Next question, along those same exact lines, a 46-year-old man undergoes resection of a sarcoma involving the posterior neck. Photographs are shown, which obviously you cannot see, which of the following arteries supplies the musculocutaneous flap used to reconstruct this defect. So very similar question um, to... The last one, um, but in this case, the choices are circumflex scapular, deep temporal, internal carotid, superficial temporal, or transverse cervical. And in this case, the answer is E, which is uh, transverse cervical, uh, another blood supplied to the trapezius muscle, um, but relevant to these sort of uh, lower scalp wounds, posterior right. neck wounds.
1: Right. So the key here. Is anything that's going to be on the occi- occiput or posterior neck is probably going to be a trapezius flap, mm-hmm. and just knowing the blood supply of trapezius flap. Right. You see the picture of posterior scalp neck. You got to think trapezius. Know its blood supply, and you're and and, and that's going to be the answer to these questions.
0: Next, um, we have a 35 year old man is undergoing repair of a pressure sore on the left ischium using the musculocutaneous cutaneous flap shown in the photograph, which you cannot see, but it's left ischial wound. Which of the following is the Matheson-Nahai classification of this flap? So the picture depicts a gluteal flap, which is commonly used for ischial pressor sores. And the choices are type 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And if you think back to which type a um, gluteus flap is, it would be type 3, which is two dominant uh, perforators. Moving on to some more principles of local sort of random flaps. The first one we'll talk about is an advancement flap.
1: Okay, wait, before you jump too much into this. So mm-hmm. w- we talked before about skin, fascia, muscle, bone. Yes. As the basis for flaps. Right. Okay. That, that field came out of Mathis Nahai and others at the time who understood the blood supply to those tissues. hmm when we're talking about advancement flaps, just to kind of get things straight, we're historically going out of order. Yeah, these flaps were much older than the combined flaps we just talked about. Number mm-hmm. one, number two is um, at the time they were called at the time they were called flaps, um, and we can still call them flaps today, but they're different than the um, m- combination of skin, muscle, bone flaps because. These advancement flaps are really skin only. Mm-hmm. Number one, number two is they're not really based off known blood supply, named named blood supply per se. Right. That being said, remember a skin flap. For example, an example of a skin flap, a pedicle skin flap, could be a parascapular scapular. Mm-hmm. You can do that. The radial forearm is a can be a fasciocutaneous or a cutaneous skin flap. The kite flap, the intrinsic flaps in the hands can be like skin flaps. Um, you can use them off named vessels, but a lot of the skin flaps, the advancement flaps, which Heather's going to talk about now, are more moving tissue and following principles that go back to the earlier 20th century when plastic surgery was evolving of how do you use local tissue within the area to solve the the defects, the problems that that military and cancer and people like that were facing. And so we didn't have the anatomy well-known, so you had to follow a basic principle of how much tissue could you take uh, in the area and move it around safely so it would reliably survive. Um, we're calling them advancement flaps, but that's really, you know, that just to get some clarity of, of what's around it, and so there are basic principles. And then this all follows geometry. Yep. And so at the time, there was a lot of discussion about geometry, geometric patterns, and the mathematics behind it, which have since been lost because we realize we don't need all that information to be able to do the procedures, and our field is evolving with newer concepts to fit in our minds. Mm-hmm. And so you'll hear certain concepts that at the time were the rage and now are a little bit more difficult to understand. Um, And there's, for any given defect, there's probably a variety of different Adjacent tissue transfers that can be done most of the time, not all the time, and so I kind of go by adjacent tissue transfer rather than advancement flaps. And the other reason why is when it comes to the CPT coding, which is what you all need to do to get paid, it goes under in the CPT book the fourteen thousand code one four zero 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 and the permutations of that code, and they're all adjacent tissue transfers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I would advancement flaps are fine. I'd call them more adjacent tissue transfer flaps.
0: Right. All right. Well then, um, along those lines, um, there's a couple different types of what have historically been called advancement flaps and and what we now sort of call adjacent tissue rearrangement. Um, The first example is just a a straightforward linear advancement flap. It's a single advancement flap. It's kind of an extended primary closure. It's utilized when defects are large and require a significant tension to close. The flap is designed by making parallel incisions along a tangent parallel to the defect and the flap is elevated at a depth which matches that defect. Additional flap advancement may be achieved by utilizing Burroughs triangles. The next question is a 79 year old woman comes to the office because of a large scalp defect following Mohs surgery for basal cell carcinoma. A rotation flap is designed to cover the defect. There are photographs of this that are shown. At the completion of the procedure a large dog ear is noted at the pivot point of the flap. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? Is it burrow triangle, compression, direct excision, staged advancement, or observation? And the answer to this question is observation, because we know that large dog ears, particularly of the scalp, have a tendency to settle down over time. And if needed in the future, you can do revisions, but um, the answer to this question, even with a very large dog ear, is that you just observe.
1: It's, scalp is unusual like this. Don't make the mistake in your practice of leaving dog ears and expect them to settle. They won't. The patients will come back. You'll be unhappy. They'll be unhappy. And then you got to deal with it. Scalp is one of the few parts of the body that this is a little different. So you can always leave scalp ones to um, settle. Alternatively, if you want, you can cut out the dog ear. <laughs> <laughs> Most patients don't want to leave the OR with this huge dog ear, and by making a little bit longer cut, you can fix the problem. So, But you have to be careful. Don't cut a dog ear at the risk of devascularizing your adjacent tissue transfer.
0: Right. And the next type of flap is a VY advancement flap. You can also do these as double opposing where you're doing two VY advancement flaps to cover the defect. And they are performed by making two linear or curved incisions from a single origin to separate points on the border of a defect with approximately 30 degrees of separation. You can make that angle slightly different depending on how much advancement you need. And the resulting triangle should have a length two to three times the defect diameter and a width equal to the defect's greatest width so that you have enough tissue to cover your defect. And then the island of skin and subcutaneous tissue is advanced into the defect.
1: I agree. The VYs are sort of interesting. You can do a VY uh, for face lesion or VY for back or buttock lesion, for example, or VY for fingertip. Those are the three areas that come to mind. But what's interesting is the blood supply to those VYs are different depending on the anatomy. And, and so, for example, um, a VY to a fingertip, you actually want to undermine the flap. You want to make a cut to the skin and undermine the flap. The blood supply is coming through the fat. So you want to be careful when you spread through the fat. A VY to the buttock, which we use for APR defects. Not everybody does, but we do. Um, I do. Is goes all the way through the skin, through the fascia, and then it's advanced because the blood supply is coming through the fat, through the through the muscle to the fat to the skin. Mm-hmm. So it's coming from below it, as opposed to through the fat. And in the face, the blood supply is again going to come through the. Um, uh, Presumably through the muscle to the skin, but we don't really know. So when you're advancing them in the face, you probably want to think a little bit more of a combination of sort of a buttock or fingertip where you're cut through the skin and you spread through the fat to begin to move it forward. Right. But be careful because it's not really known that the blood supply comes through the muscle to the skin or how if it's coming through the fat, whereas the fingertip we know and the buttock we know. So a to Y is not always just a V to Y is the point. You've got to think about blood supply.
0: Um, the next type of flap we're going to talk about is a rotation flap. It can be used to repair defects that cannot be closed along a single tension vector um, by an advancement flap. The arc is extended distally from the base of the defect to a length that uh, represents about one fourth of a circle, although you can make it bigger if you need more rotation, increasing the curvature of the arc offers greater flap movement. Uh, The primary defect is eliminated by flap rotation, which in turn creates a secondary defect that's distributed along the length of the arc. Arc rotation can be oversized to reduce flap tension and movement restriction at the pivot point, and it's useful in scalp, temple, cheek, and trunk defects. And long incision lines may make rotation flaps a less appealing choice in many facial locations. The next type of local flap we'll talk about is a Z-plasty. It's a relatively simple transposition technique used to lengthen a contracted scar, break up straight lines, and rearrange the contour of soft tissues. You can also use them sequentially if you have longer scars that you need to break up. Symmetry is the basis of a Z-plasty design. The lateral and central limb lengths and angles must all be equal to each other. The design produces two 30-60-90 triangles in the way it's generally used. And the Pythagorean theorem demonstrates that changing the lateral limb to central limb angle will change the length of the central limb axis after rearrangement. So, this is commonly tested on the in service, and I still have not come up with a good way to remember how which degree of lateral limb to central limb angles correlates with which percentage gain in the central limb length. But 30 degrees correlates to 25% gain in length, 45 to 50, 60 to 75, 75 to 100, and then 90 degree angles uh, correlates to a gain in length of 120%, which I can't say that I've ever seen used um, in clinical practice. So the question is, which is the theoretic gain in length achieved by performing a Z-plasty with angles of 75 degrees? And the answer is D, uh, 100% gain. All right, next flap is the rhombic flap. It provides a method to fill a primary defect with reduced suture line tension. And the primary defect is essentially converted into a four-sided parallelogram with equal lengths and angles of 60 and 100 degrees, 120 degrees, excuse me. The modified defect serves as a template for the flap. An incision is performed from one of the obtuse tips extending to a length that's equal to one of the uh, four sided parallelogram lengths. At the distal tip of this incision, a second incision with equal length is made parallel to one of the near sides of the rhombus, producing a 60 degree angle. The flap is then lifted and transposed into the defect, redirecting the tension vector by 90 degrees. So, let's talk about some complications of these transposition flaps. The ones that are commonly tested and discussed are pin cushioning and trap dooring, and these are terms used to describe the elevation of a flap or graft above the surrounding skin. Contributing factors are contraction of the curved flap edges, excess subcutaneous fat in your flap, uh, lymphedema, actually edema in the flap, oversizing the flap design making it too large, inadequate flap tailoring, and insufficient contact between the underside of the flap and the recipient bed. Another complication you have to worry about, obviously, with these types of flaps is flap necrosis, which is commonly a result of excess tension, infection, hematoma, and ischemia associated with smoking. So next, we'll just touch on the concept of perforator or freestyle perforator flaps. Um, this is a flap harvested on any clinically relevant perforator, and it's really just based on sound anatomic knowledge. And the location is fairly predictable ar- along sort of where these hot spots of perforators are.
1: So basically, what we're just evolving to is, you know, the skin used to be random pattern. Those are adjacent tissue transfers. Then you had skin muscle, bone sort of combination of flaps, right? Radial mm-hmm. form is really kind of one of those, if mm-hmm. you think about it. So all what they're basically doing is saying we're understanding the blood supply to the skin a little bit better. And as our anatomy, uh, as our knowledge of anatomy improves of skin and basically where it's reliable, that's when people and the technology with the Doppler to identify preoperatively will go ahead and then raise up or use that piece of skin on that blood
0: supply. Okay. And um, excellent transition to the next topic. I was actually going to talk about Profunda artery perforator flaps. And these perforators arise from the medial branches of the Profunda artery. Um, The proximal perforator is usually found between six to 10 centimeters from the inferior gluteal crease. The pedicle length is generally between eight and 13 centimeters. Common uses for this flap are pressure sores, vulvar reconstruction, perineal reconstruction, or you can use them in a free flap manner for lower extremity or uh, for breast flaps. The next uh, sort of perforator flap I'll talk about is the superficial femoral artery perforator flap. The highest density of these perforators is in the mid-thigh. The mid and distal thigh perforators from the SFA descending genicular artery, saphenous artery branches, and popliteal. There's kind of lots of anatomic variability in where the perforators of the mid and distal thigh sort of come from. But generally speaking, the pedicle length is about 5 to 15 centimeters and commonly used for knee uh, defects resulting from tumors or need of hardware coverage. The next flap I'll talk about is the anterolateral thigh flap. In this particular case, um, you can do it. You can raise the flap as a pedicle flap, as a free flap, or as a distally based reverse flap. If you're going to base it distally, the pedicle is from really. If you're going to base it pedicled at all, the descending branch of the lateral femoral circumflex artery, which runs between the vastus intermedius and the rectus femoris. The distal pivot point is generally about 10 centimeters from the superolateral patella. And if you use it in its pedicled form, not the distally-based form, it can be used for trochanteric groin, perineal perineal abdominal wall, or upper posterior thigh defects. So the first thing we'll talk about is homodigital flaps, where the source of donor tissue is from the injured digit. And these provide intermediate, um, sort of near-normal sensibility. The donor tissue must be from outside the zone of injury. um, And something to think about, especially when you're in the emergency department. This method often requires a small amount of bone shortening to actually facilitate the flap inset. The first uh, flap we'll talk about to address fingertip injuries um, is the volar VY flap, which is useful for dorsal oblique and some transverse geometry type injuries. And this flap uses tissue adjacent to the wound, and it's designed with wound edge, uh, with the wound edge as base of a triangular flap, sort of a VY, as we talked about earlier. And really, you can advance the distal edge about one centimeter unless the incision is carried proximal to the DIP flexion crease.
1: I think as you're getting into these flaps, the first thing is to talk about which which one's not to flap. Right. Right. So which fingertip injury wouldn't you flap?
0: So if you had, for example, a volar oblique flap that was less than one centimeter. A
1: volar oblique defect, not a flap.
0: Defect, excuse me, of the fingertip. And you had exposed pulp, but no bone.
1: What's the treatment for that?
0: Just dressings.
1: Dressings? And why?
0: Because you have better sensibility just with moist dressings on a...
1: Granulating tissue yeah. and epithelialization is better.
0: Right. Even right. than a skin graft.
1: Well, the skin graft is the thing, right? Skin graft, because right. you wouldn't really probably flop that. But yeah, so that's the first thing. Once you get past the pulp, you're then looking at what? What changes your mind to begin to think about flops?
0: Um, the size of the defect.
1: Not in the size.
0: And contracture because you're crossing the flexion crease? Not
1: the contracture. There's one key anatomic structure that pushes you to think about flaps.
0: And you don't have exposed bone?
1: It's exposed bone. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because what you're talking about is traumatized fingertips or cancer on fingertips effectively, right? Mm -hmm. And once you have exposed bone, you know you you can't let it granulate. not going to work. They don't work. You can bury your head in the sand, but they won't work. You'll figure that out after a few months. Um, Skin grafts don't work, right, on them. So for the most part, you're doing them to cover exposed bone. Right. There's probably some exceptions, but for the most part. And so then when you start at the fingertip, you can just say, what are the flaps at the fingertip for exposed bone?" If you were to just quickly list them before you jump into the details of them.
0: Uh, The volar VY. So volar VY. You have the cutler flaps that are the lateral VY. The two
1: lateral VYs, which most people don't do. Right. Why?
0: Um, I guess, I don't know. To me, they just seem technically challenging.
1: No. The reason they don't do them is because the scar (laughs) ends up directly in the fingertip. Ah. And so when you go to pick up something, you're pressing on the scar Mm -hmm. because the two sides end up coming together in the middle. So that's why you don't see the medial lateral VYs. Okay, there's a more historical. Um, possible to do them, but that's just sort of the reason why, so you understand that. So you have a, a volar-based one. You have the lateral, medial, or radial and ulnar-based mm-hmm. flaps, right, that could be used. Uh, what else do you have?
0: Um, the thenar flap.
1: Thenar, so it's burying the finger, moving the defect to the flap as opposed to the flap to the defect. Right. That's equivalent to kind of burying your arm in your abdomen or your groin sort of concept. And so you definitely have the thanar-based flaps or hypothanar flaps, Mm
0: -hmm. right? And then probably important to note is that those aren't the best for elderly patients or patients with um, arthritis because it requires flexing the finger down while the flap heals.
1: So that's totally true, but there's more than that. It's mostly people, once they start to get in their late 20s, you get um, joint, gets very stiff from staying in that flexed position and you can end up with some fixed deformities of the joints, the IP joint, because mm-hmm. of that flap. So most people don't use them on uh, older people, older being older than 25, which is probably all of us who are listening to this um, for that sort of stiffness reason. And what else can you use for fingertips?
0: Uh, cross finger flaps. Right.
1: Cross finger flaps. Right. So cross fingers, reverse cross fingers, things like that. So now what I would say is once you kind of have in your mind, the art, that that sort of verbiage of the different flaps, now, you go through some of the details of each of those flaps to understand their blood supply, their pros and cons of using them, and how they're technically done. Right. You know, which we've talked a little bit about now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. That was a really good um, kind of summary and segue into some more of the details. So, we talked about homo digital flaps. Also, we need to talk about hetero digital flaps, of which cross finger flaps are one of. A hetero digital flap, in general, is a flap that's from a different finger than the injured one. For the cross-finger flap specifically, these are useful for volar oblique injuries. The flap is raised on, on the dorsum of the indir, injured digit's adjacent middle phalanx and elevated just dorsal to the peritinon. The flap is left pedicled um, to the donor site along the lateral margin adjacent to the injured digit. The injured finger is flexed, and the flap is inset over the defect. Flap division generally precedes it, 8 to 10 days, although maybe different.
1: The eight to ten days are probably a little bit early. early. Maybe they are published and that's fine. I don't know if anyone's looked at it. Usually, I, I said to two to three weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My question for you is: Is this a axial name sort of flap like what we talked about earlier today, or mm-hmm. is this an adjacent tissue transfer?
0: I, I I'm assuming this kind of counts as an adjacent tissue transfer almost,
1: right? right? Because you're not digging out the digital artery,
0: right? Even so though it's, it's like really flap. a
1: one to one. One width to one height adjacent tissue transfer. So those are ways to sort of broadly apply those sort of concepts. And so this is the heterodigital yep. flap.
0: And then just to sort of... A first,
1: homodigital flap, is that an adjacent tissue transfer or is that on an axial vessel?
0: That's on an axial vessel. Right. Right. Because you're using the neurovascular bundle.
1: Right. And where does the blood supply come from?
0: The opposite.
1: How does digi- it, How does it get... So let's say you took an ulnar-based... Homo digital flap.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's reverse flow.
0: hmm
1: But how's the blood getting there?
0: So the blood flow is getting there uh, via the radial digital cut. vessel Correct. and
1: there are blood, there's a crossing of blood vessels from the radial to the ulnar back and forth to two-way street, and those go across the joint. So if you're going to raise up a homo digital and you're cutting past that IP joint, you're going to cut some of the blood supply to it. So that's one of sort of the points there. So that's an axial-named Flap. So a homo digital is a hetero is adjacent tissue transfer. Right. Just to apply some of those previous concepts to understanding how sort of fields evolve.
0: Awesome. Um, and then a reverse cross-finger flap is for dorsal defects. And this is when the epidermis and papillary dermis are divided and the reticular dermis and subcutane- subcutaneous tissue are, ac- are what's used to cover the adjacent digit defect. The skin flap is then laid back down over the donor site and a full thickness skin graft is placed on the reverse flap itself. Another heterodigital island flap I guess the first one we'll talk about is the Littler flap.
1: So so you're going to talk about this flap. Let's just be clear. Does anybody use this flap anymore? No. Good.
0: Historical significance. Okay,
1: so that's very important. Why?
0: Obviously, I've never done this flap. because there's
1: a very specific reason that people have gotten away from doing this flap. It has to do with the nerve supply. So what happens is you're taking the nerve from a different finger with Ah. the skin. Mm -hmm. And when you move it over, so you take usually from the ring finger to the thumb. Yep. And when you move it over, what does your thumb feel?
0: Your thumb feels your ring finger.
1: Right. And the brain, the plasticity doesn't reorient. And so patients really don't like it because they're very confused when they're picking things up Mm -hmm. over which finger is sort of touching it. So we talk about the Littler because Littler was his hand surgeon and well-known and did some really nice drawings. And popularized this flop and brought up this idea of sort of intrinsic flops mm-hmm. so it's more out of respect for him than it is any practical reality right so so you know I I would I've never done one I've never needed to do one I deal with a lot of hand trauma I guess there could be a point at, someday but I really would attribute this to, to um historical significance and the issue is because of the disorientation of sensation of the fingers so so that's kind of what's important here
0: have you noticed that there's any difference in the cortical like i guess plasticity between like an older patient and a child i would imagine maybe a child would be able to adapt better but we don't do enough of them maybe we don't ever
1: do them for totally, it's not part of thumb reconstruction when, right. you, when you start to do the, the sort of the flap so i wouldn't that i wouldn't spend a lot of time Memorizing the littler flap, it's just basically taking the artery nerve from a different finger and moving it over. So a heterodigital, it's a heterodigital flap with a named axial vessel, right? right? Like a homodigital is a named axial vessel, but you don't really want to use it because you don't really want the nerve. You could use it if you cut the nerve, right? Right, and reanastomose it. So mm-hmm. let's just say you had a thumb with a um, volar defect, and you had the radial nerve of the thumb that you could anastomose to, mm-hmm. you could do a heterodigital flap, a neurovascular one, an axial one, not a cross-finger heterodigital, right? Mm-hmm. Bring that blood supply over with the nerve, cut the nerve, and re-anastomose that nerve to the thumb radial nerve. In which case, then, you may get this sensation. You'll probably get some say, sensations from normal to the thumb. I'm, I've never heard anybody doing that. Right. But that would start to make more sense. And bring the the Littler Levitis flap back to public.
0: Well, I guess we could talk about slightly more modern and or clinically relevant thumb reconstruction. Since we sort of talked about the Littler flap, which we don't really use anymore. We'll talk about the Moberg flap, which is technically kind of a VY advancement flap. We're able to do it in the thumb because the thumb has sort of three blood flow systems. It's a little bit different than the rest of the digits.
1: Well, let's just talk about more because I don't totally agree with everything you've said. Okay. First of all, it's not a V to Y. Okay. You can make a V at the base. This is one of those um, sort of quote-unquote flaps. It's like what we were talking about where you take your hand and you sew it to your abdomen. Mm -hmm. Where you're bringing, instead of bringing the flap to the defect, you're bringing the defect to the flap. Okay, most reconstructions, you're bringing the flap to the defect. A Moberg is different. A Moberg, you're bringing the defect to the flap. What do I mean by that? You're basically skeletonizing the volar um, tissues of the thumb, Mm -hmm. which is the fat, skin, nerve, and arteries. Both neurovascular bundles. All together. You just lift the whole thing up. So you leave down tendon and bone. Mm -hmm. And you basically have to flex the IP joint of the thumb. Right? There's only one IP joint. There's an MCP joint, which is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the IP joint of the thumb, and you flex it, and that brings that defect into the flap, and you just put the flap back down. So you actually don't move the flap forward. You're lifting it up, and you're putting it back down. The difference is you're bending the joint. You can't just bend the joint and expect it to get into the flap because you need to lift the flap up first. Right. Right? So it's separating from the bone and tendon, and you put it back down. So it's really the radial and ulnar digital vessels, the thumb, that's apply it. That's really all you need to know. Um, you can do a V2Y component to get a little bit more advancement at the base of it. Yeah. I don't know that that really matters for this, um, but it's really the key is bringing the bone or the defect to the flap.
0: Got it. And then just to note, the, um, since you're bringing the radial and ulnar um, digital arteries with you, the dorsal blood supply to the skin is still present based on the branches of the first dorsal metacarpal artery and branches of the uh, direct branches of the radial artery.
1: You could do a V to Y in the thumb, but rarely would you get just a fingertip injury of the thumb. Let's right. say you get the fingertip, the same way you get a fingertip injury of the other four fingers. right? But if you did, you could absolutely do a V to Y in the thumb. The same way you do with other digits. The issue is you don't usually end up with that. It's usually a much more extensive volar soft tissue defect. And for those other fingers, you would treat a volar soft t- tissue defect with what?
0: The other things we talked about.
1: Right, which are the- homo-digital.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Homo-digital. Thener. Not usually thanor. Not usually. Most commonly, it's probably cross, fingers, cross finger. Cross Right, that you could do it. The thumb, you could do a cross finger from the index. You right, 100%. Your thumb goes to your P1 of your index.
0: Oh, all right. And
1: so that could be a cross finger. Or if we free the cross finger up from the index, that's called a kite flap because mm-hmm. it's an axial name flap. Mm-hmm. You absolutely could. Or the Moberg then brings it up. To do a Moberg on your other fingers, you can do that as well. Um, you, but it would have to be a long, extensive sort of dissection. And most people don't sort of do that. But yeah. you could.
0: But just a little break for some questions. An 18-year-old man comes for evaluation four days after he's sustained an avulsion injury of the pad of the index finger of his dominant right hand. A photograph is shown, which you cannot see. The part was never recovered, and the patient has been performing dressing changes. The defect is 2.5 centimeters squared and extends to the distal phalanx bone. Coverage with which of the following flaps is most likely to result in fingertip sensation closest to pre-injury. And the choices are cross-finger flap, which is wrong because it's not innervated. First, dorsal metacarpal artery flap, which doesn't make any sense anatomically in this case. Homo digital island flap, which is the answer. And reverse to radial forearm flap, which is way too big for this defect. And then a thenar flap, which is not sensate. So I think that's the point of this question.
1: So let's talk about the homo digital island flap for a second. How do you do it?
0: Well, I believe in this case, since it's the index finger, you would want to raise it off the ulnar uh, neurovascular bundle just to protect your pinch.
1: Okay. So you raise it up and then where do you cut?
0: I guess sort of you design your flat. P1
1: over P1 uh-huh. on the ulnar side of P1 of the mm-hmm. index finger. Okay. You cut through the skin.
0: Do mm-hmm.
1: You cut through the fat. Yes. yes. You have to.
0: Yeah, to get to the bundle.
1: Now you get to the neurovascular bundle. Do you cut through it?
0: Yeah, you have to. Which
1: part do you cut through?
0: The proximal part.
1: Proximal part. Do you cut the nerve? Yes. So you cut the artery and the nerve. Yes. And then you take this, and now it's distally based, and you turn it up. Yes. Right? So what's the nerve supply? You don't have one. (laughs) Right? Cut the nerve. Right. Some people talk about sewing the nerve to the other nerve but to the other side, which would be the ulnar nerve. But that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. Because you, you don't want to have a long enough stump. Right. Because your ulnar digital nerve, to be able to sew to it, you know, has to be really a, probably the PIP joint. And your your nerve that you're bringing with it, it probably isn't going to reach. Mm-hmm. So it's really not an innervated flap. Right. So I, I don't know the literature on this. Um, I can tell you the reverse radial form doesn't make sense for a fingertip. We never use those. A thanar flap is bearing the finger we generally don't like to do it, but an 18-year-old, you can do it. I'm not sure between a cross-finger flap, a homo-digital island flap, and a thinner flap that the literature supports that one gives more sensation to an, than another mm-hmm. in two-point discrimination for outcomes. Um, maybe there's an article on it. Yeah. Because this is very clearly stating which flap gives the most likely for fingertip sensation. Um, if there was no flap, you would say granulated in is clearly the best. Between those three... Somebody wrote some article somewhere that describes that, but it doesn't really make sense to me why that would be.
0: Yeah, just another example of how these questions um, don't always make the most sense. But the answer they were looking for is homemade right. digital eyelet yeah. flap.
1: They're looking for home with digital. Yeah. There's a nerve in it. I just don't understand it. There's some. There must. There. There. For this to be a correct question. Yeah. There has to be an article out there that compares the flaps and looks at two point discrimination. Right. You know, and I just haven't seen that. I, I personally, in practice, would just do a cross finger flap for this. Got it. And I think most people would.
0: Okay. All right, next. A 50-year-old man comes to the emergency department after sustaining an injury to the right thumb. The patient declines revision amputation and states that he does not want to lose the thumb length or the nail. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And I'll sort of describe the photo to you. It's a dorsally-based injury to the thumb Distal or yeah, the thumb distal phalanx. The germinal matrix and the nail plate over the germinal matrix look like they're intact, and there's some significant injury to the rest of the nail plate and nail bed underneath the nail plate. Don't see any exposed bone, and the soft tissue looks like it's somewhat lacking as well. But the choices are complete the amputation of the thumb proximal to the germinal matrix. Obliterate the germinal matrix and remaining nail bed followed by skin grafting. Transplant germinal matrix from the great toe. Transplant sterile matrix from the great toe or continue to observe. So in this uh, question, the answer is transplant sterile matrix from the great toe. So because the patient does not want an amputation, this would be sort of your only option for creating a nail that looks even halfway normal. The germinal matrix is intact, so you're looking for sterile matrix to move into the area. I can't say that I've ever seen this done in the acute setting, but this is what the answer, or the question is looking for.
1: Okay. So he doesn't want to lose thumb length. So that tells you you're trying to do some sort of flap closure, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Moberg flap or something of that nature, right? But what they're telling you is he doesn't want to lose the nail yeah. that's remaining. So you could just, you could do a Moberg and close it over. Mm-hmm. But, so the first answer is proximal to the germinal matrix, doesn't make sense because then you lose the nail, right? Right. Obliterate the germinal matrix and remaining nail bed, so that goes against the wanting to not lose the nail, right? So A and B go away, right? Yeah. E is continue to observe. Well, he's got a defect, right? And so just observing it is not going to help you with the nail. Right. Right? So you're stuck between C and D. Um or reduced it down to. So it's either the germinal matrix from the great toe or the sterile matrix from the great toe. What's the difference then between germinal matrix and sterile matrix?
0: So the germinal matrix is the portion of the nail bed that's most proximal under the nail plate, and it's the part of the nail bed that sort of generates the nail plate itself.
1: Right. right. So germinal comes from what other what are the word?
0: Germany. <laughs> Germany, <laughs>
1: correct. <laughs> yes, we will get our German colleagues to help. Close, but no cigar. What else is like germinal? Get rid of the L. German what? Gerbils. Gerbils?
0: I have no idea. Yeah,
1: all right. Germinate? (laughs) Germinate. What does germinate mean?
0: Like, I think of plants. Yeah. It's pollinate.
1: Well, that's pollinate. What does germinate mean? You're all right, it's plants. What does it mean?
0: Like spread seed.
1: No. So seed that's in the ground, when it germinates, it grows. Okay. Right? It's growing into a plant, so germinating is growing. So when you transplant the germinal matrix, that's the growth matrix from the toe. When you look at this defect of the person's thumb, he has the thumb epinical fold and the growth plate intact. Right. Right? The germinal matrix intact. Yeah. What's the sterile matrix? That's where the nerve grows along. Yeah. So what it's basically saying is the nail, for the nail to continue to grow, you need to give a sterile matrix down. It's a very specific kind of cell types that live there. If you just put a skin graft down, right, they're not a sterile matrix. They'll form that epithelial sort of layer, the keratin layer. And Mm -hmm. then the nail, when it hits the skin graft, it's going to just pop up in the air. Okay. Right? Because it's going to hit keratin and just go flying up in the air, and they're not going to get their nice nail. Right. So you need this the properties, the physical properties of a sterile matrix for the nail to hit that property and continue to stick to it and grow. And so that's why it has to be a sterile matrix that you put down. And the key here, which is rare, 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 I've just, I don't know, I've only probably heard of these being done outside the United States and Asia, is the nail issue. Mm-hmm. Most, I'm just... Never think about it. We really want to take a piece of your toe. Because what happens to the toe? The
0: toe gets, the the nail of the toe gets mutilated.
1: So you're like, okay, so we're going to take your toe, get rid of the nail. We're going to then put a skin graft on your toe so you no longer have a nail on your toe. And we're going to put this up on your thumb so you can have a nail on your thumb. So it's reported. It's feasible. It's just very unlikely. And most people who have a trauma to their thumb in the practical setting are not going to push you for that. Right. But it's good to know and it's important for the inserts. All
0: right. Just a couple more uh, topics to cover. Uh, The first uh, dorsal metacarpal artery flap, we kind of alluded to it earlier. It's an additional option for reconstruction of bowler thumb injuries in addition to the Moberg flap and the littler flap, which is of historical significance that we talked about. It's a neurovascular pedicle flap based on the first dorsal metacarpal artery, which is off the radial artery. It allows transfer of tissue from the dorsum of the index finger, uh, proximal phalanx, and flap Includes the terminal branch of the superficial radial nerve to provide protective sensation, and as Dr. Levinson was explaining earlier, it's kind of like a cross finger flap from the index to the thumb, and that is just pedicled on the first dorsal metacarpal artery.
1: First dorsal metacarpal artery flap, otherwise called the kite kite flap, is this the same thing as the guava, or the um, uh, intermetacarpal artery flap?
0: Mm, I get them all mixed up.
1: Right. That's yeah. why I'm asking you the question.
0: No. Are they the same?
1: No. So let's talk about blood supply just for a second, because yeah. this is an anatomy question. That's yeah. what I'm asking you. The first dorsal metacarpal artery really doesn't totally tell you the anatomy. It tells you it does to a degree that tells you it's the first, so it's the thumb. It's dorsal in the back of the hand, and it's a metacarpal artery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it doesn't tell you where it's coming from, and that's where it gets confusing. Where is this coming from?
0: Is it, isn't it a direct branch right of off the, the radial?
1: Radial artery, right. correct. Where are there other metacarpal artery branches?
0: Are there branches off of one of the palmar arches?
1: Correct. And where are those two branches? Intermetacarpals, and there are two of them. One is in the mid part of the metacarpals. So the deep arch will send one that goes through the muscles, to the skin, you'll see. And the other one is distilled by the metacarpal heads, right? So the guava flap, which is a guy's name, um, earlier, mid-20th century, is based on the dorsal intermetacarpal artery, which okay. is at the metacarpal heads. And that's and from that, the arch. That comes from the arch. And then that will supply the P1 of the fingers with these little flaps that you'll sometimes see or hear about, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that that is a, it's again at the dorsal of the hand. It's again metacarpal and it's again artery. And that's why it's confusing because it's not, the name is not really a great name. First dorsal radial artery metacarpal flap something yeah yeah Something you would understand different. a lot more yeah i mean and there's so a reason why i'm confused too. yeah so that's that's where you can pick up this this sort of flap from and then elevate up the fascia with it the more ulnar you go on the hand the less um, or actually i take that back so um there, there this really has come off the radial they're not necessary blood supplies to each of the hand the other parts of the Dorsum of the hand as you get ulnar, because there's only one first radial artery with princeps that will kinda of go this way, right? Mm-hmm. But there are on the guava flaps, the intermetacarpals, you can go ulnar and still get perforators. Mm. There are less perforators the more ulnar you get. So you can do a reverse flap based on the dorsum of the hand, based on the intermetacarpal artery to cover the fingertips. Right? So it's still dorsum of the hand, it's still a metacarpal artery, but it's reversed because the blood supply is coming from the volar arch and it goes through the metacarpal heads, right? Mm-hmm. Key is anatomy. And when you're in anatomy, carefully look at the terms and think, oh, are they talking about radial artery or are they talking about pulmonary arch? And then that will help to clarify everything.
0: Uh, now we'll do just a couple more questions, and then I think that's it. A 54-year-old man comes to the office because of an injury to the long finger of the dominant right hand sustained when it was pinched in a machine at work. Physical examination shows a 1.3-centimeter loss of pulp tissue with no exposed bone. To preserve function and sensation to the digit, which of the following is the most appropriate intervention? amputation at the DIP, cross-finger flap, moist dressings, thenar flap, volar VY advancement flap. So I think the keys to this question are that we have 1.3 centimeter loss of pulp tissue with no exposed bone, and we're trying to do what's best for sensation. So in this case, moist dressings is the answer. Correct. And actually, this is a topic Dr. Levinson brought up earlier, was tested almost verbatim on our exam. I believe this was from 2019. Which of the following is the arterial supply of the flap for digital tip reconstruction shown? So the picture is depicting a homo digital island flap of the uh, ring finger, the ulnar side of the ring finger. And the flap is elevated based on the ulnar neurovascular bundle. And it's designed for what looks like a fingertip defect. So The answer is distally based from the contralateral digital artery. So we're getting... Crossing
1: the IP joint. That's where it's coming from.
0: A 27-year-old man is brought to the emergency department because of a thumb avulsion injury measuring 3 by 3 centimeters. And there's a photograph. Which of the following is the best option for sensate soft tissue coverage? So we have a volar thumb defect measuring three by three centimeters. And the rest of the volar skin, even the proximal volar skin in the photo, looks sort of desiccated and potentially with some necrosis. So probably not viable to be using that volar skin for anything. So that rules out Moberg flap. The other options are cross finger well, flap.
1: You can't use a Moberg because of what? The size. The size because the entire skin from the IP is gone, right?
0: It's not just the thumb tip.
1: It is the thumb tip, but it's the entire piece of the IP, of the IP.
0: So we want sensate soft tissue coverage. Other choices are pedicled groin flap. seems like a lot. Moburg flap we talked about, cross finger flap, um, not really an option for this because we're trying to get sensate skin grafting, not the best for sensation, and then that leaves first dorsal metacarpal artery flap, which the, neuro, the nerve supplies from the superficial radial nerve. A 23 year old war worker sustains an injury to the dominant left thumb that involves the loss of less than two centimeters of the distal pulp with exposed bone from a, plan- a planing machine. Which of the following reconstruction methods is most likely to provide normal sensation to the volar pulp of this patient's thumb? Cross finger flap from the long finger, islandized Moberg flap, flag flap, which I'm not sure what that is, thenar flap, or venous flow through flap. So in this case, it would be an islandized flap. Moberg flap, because it's less than two centimeters of the distal pulp. Um, you have exposed bones, so you want to have a nice flap for soft tissue coverage. And you're bringing the neurovascular bundles with you in the Moberg flap. So that provides sensation.
1: Correct. So it's interesting, most of these comments, most of these flap reconstructions, because there are several options. They're trying to get you to focus on which one in particular. And so they're choosing nerve, nerve supply to it.
0: That makes sense. All right. Uh, Well, thank you for being with us here today on our local flaps and local flaps of the hand podcast. And uh, we hope to uh, have you join us again soon.